Future trading involves risk and is not suitable for all investors. Content provided in this segment is meant for educational purposes and is not a solicitation to buy or sell commodities. Hello, and welcome to Parlor to Plate. It's a weekly podcast from Everag Insights dedicated to offering listeners enlightening discussion and actionable intelligence about dairy markets. I'm your host, Erica Medke. If you've not heard this podcast before, come join the club. It's relatively new to the Everag Insights lineup, and we're excited to have you join us. If you like what you hear, please like us, subscribe, and tell a friend or two. First things first, let's timestamp today's episode. It is Wednesday, March 22nd, about 1 o'clock in the afternoon, Central Standard Time. A quick rundown of the markets. Today's CME Black Cheddar, $2.01 and a half, about five and a half cents higher than the last time we talked. Barrels, a 194, more than nickel higher on the week. Whey solids at 44 and three quarters, down a quarter of a cent. Butter, 238 and a quarter, up just a quarter of a cent, essentially unchanged. Non-fat dry milk at $1.15, down three cents. Nearby corn is trading right now at 635, up a nickel. Nearby soybeans at 1450, down 18 cents on the day. Today, we are lucky to have another all-star cast from around the country. Leading off today is Jake Kingsley, our Director of Feed Procurement out of the great state of Texas. We've got Kevin Peterson, a broker of commercial services based in our Chicago office. And Tiffany Lamandola, our Vice President of Risk Management, who is based in California and avoiding the floodwaters these days. So we'll get to that in a moment. But first off, we're going to start with what's the buzz in everybody's world. So Jake, would you mind giving us what's going on with grains in particular? I'm curious what's going on with this Black Sea deal. Is it on? Is it off? Sure. And thanks for having me here, Erica. So the Black Sea deal still not completely finalized, but Russia has agreed to 60-day terms. Ukraine and Turkey are pushing for 120 days. Russia seems to be willing to agree to that if they can get some sanctions lifted off of some of their other exports. And then we're finding some support in the corn market here after a pretty good sell-off over the first portion of March. Some Chinese purchases over the last week or so have kind of stabilized futures down there in the 630 to 640 type of area. And then uh, soybean futures have been the talk of the last 10 days or so here breaking roughly 45 or $50 a ton off of their highs in the nearby contract, but seemingly finding a little bit of support here in a higher traffic area right around the 450 mark. Kevin, what's happening in the dairy market world these days? You know, conversations this week really stemming around butter and cheese and kind of the the strength we're seeing in those two markets has some people scratching their head again with milk still trading at a pretty heavy discount, especially in the Midwest. Butter's hanging in there around 240 as you have New Zealand and Europe struggling a bit with prices falling off there. So the the U.S. uh, remains the the highest price in the world. So we might start to uh, see some struggle competing with some marginal exports there. And, you know, coming into this year, we're seeing a really good build in inventories. Still has a lot of people scratching their head as to why we're at 240. I think people are expecting maybe some lower prices for butter. I think you have some Easter demand keeping us in there. And also some fear of last year with prices pushing above $3. I think a lot of people are 
are happy to lock in their budgets around this 240 number. You know, then over to cheese, again, seeing a kind of a counter seasonal move here, especially when we look at that April futures contract, making a higher move here. A lot of people scratching their heads on that move as well. Looking at uh, spot volume, we've seen 337 barrels trade year to date so far. That's the highest we've ever seen on the exchange, averaging about 22 loads a week. So a lot of demand for barrels and a lot of buyers turning to the exchange. And Kevin, we've seen quite a bit of volatility in the, the spread between blocks and barrels. Have you heard anything about that lately? You know, not a whole lot. Definitely a lot of questions being asked about it. Beginning out this year, you know, we were probably averaging around 30 cents with blocks being over. Again, I think, you know, a lot of it has to do with with such a large amount of barrels trading on the exchange, a lot of demand for them. So I think it's pushed that gap a little narrower, you know, and also too, coming up this year, we have some more block capacity coming online in Texas. And again, you know, no news of any new barrel capacity, and we haven't had some in quite some time. So I think, you know, that's also in the mix there as well. Tiffany, we've been all ears waiting to hear what's going on in California from somebody with boots on the ground. So can you give us the update of California? Yeah, absolutely. You know, as a native of California, I prayed and prayed along with all of my friends in the dairy industry for rain and snow. Our prayers have been answered. It's just uh, in a bit of extreme nature. <laughs> we, uh, we got a lot of snow in the mountains and then got hit with another atmospheric river that was quite warmer. So not only did we get a lot of rain, but it melted quite a bit of that snowpack and it just overwhelmed a lot of our waterways. It is a situation very much in flux, I would say, as more storms continue to roll in and there is still a lot of snow up in the mountains, we're probably going to be watching this situation for another you know, couple months as we make our way through spring. We do know late last week and through the weekend was a, a tough stretch for some of our friends, particularly down in the Tipton area, sort of that South Valley area. There was two major breaks on the Thule River, which caused widespread flooding. We are still trying to check in with folks, but there's been definitely an array of accounts uh, some people had to fully evacuate their dairies, all of the livestock. We did hear of uh, numerous instances of that. Some folks took some proactive measures, building berms around their dairies, try to, you know, trying to fend off the floodwaters, and even evacuated just, you know, kind of, again, precautionary measures. Uh, we've heard of neighboring dairies taking on animals to help out their neighbors. Just a, a lot of things in the mix. Beyond impacts on the dairy, we did hear what is remembered as the old craft plant in Tulare also shut down for some time. I think at this point, it's too early to really know what the impact is. You know, we, we know that probably some winter crops, some of the winter silage that got flooded might be a loss. Some of the commodity barns and the hay storage on, the, on some of these facilities might be a loss. Obviously, some disruptions in production where cows had to be moved, maybe being housed in a different situation, having to go from three times milking to two times milking. We heard of some milk truck struggles getting to some of these facilities. So it's just a, an array of issues. Uh, so stay tuned. We'll be watching the situation very carefully. Tiffany, this week we also had a USDA milk production report come out. Do you want to touch on the numbers there? Yeah, absolutely. So this was for the month of February. U.S. output came in at plus 0.8% year over year. That was pretty much in line with our expectations. We called it a neutral report. I will say it marks the eight month in a row of year over year gains. 
all major milk producing regions were up except for California, which was down 0.9%. We uh, continue to see the same regions showing the largest gains, the Mideast up 2.6%, Midwest up 1.4%. Those are also the regions with the largest growth in cow numbers, with the Midwest adding about 24,000 head year over year, and the Mideast next in line at plus 13. In total, our milking herd is said to be up about 37,000 head year over year. Now let's move on to the center of the plate. And I think we'll just dovetail right on what Tiffany was just talking about with that milk production report, as well as you know what we're seeing in terms of expectations for cold storage. So I think milk production definitely is up here in the United States. It's up around the world. Tiffany, you know, we saw California down in February, which I think people had talked about was a holdover from the the January rains. Now that we're in the middle of more flooding, is it too early to speculate? Yeah, I I think it is. I I would presume, though, that we may not see any, you know, massive recovery from that number. So maybe more of the same, possibly some larger impacts. But yeah, a little hard to quantify at this point what the impact will be from the flooding. So Kevin, you've got a few more contacts in the upper Midwest type of region. What are you guys seeing and hearing there in terms of general milk supply and, and availability of product? Yeah, the milk is still flowing in the Midwest for sure. You know, hearing from contacts, we're still trading at anywhere between 10 and 14 under current class three prices. So no issue finding milk at all in that region. And I would corroborate that hearing other folks talking in the six to 10 range All right, team. The other report of note this week from USDA's cold storage comes out on Thursday. Kevin, do you have some thoughts on what we might be seeing for cheese and butter numbers? Yeah, you know, butter, we're still projecting continued growth in stocks. Um, you know, obviously, this is the time of year we, we like to see butter inventories build. So I don't think there's any anything too interesting there, but hoping to, again, continue to see those numbers build. As far as cheese goes, some thinking we might see a revision into that last report, obviously, with the dairy products showing quite a bit of cheese being made and then storage numbers coming in a little lower than people might have thought. That obviously speaks to some exceptional demand. So, you know, there could be some revisions for today's report. Jake, we've also seen some data finally come out on the commitment of traders. Pretty exciting and pretty dramatic in terms of the liquidation of some of the managed money. Can you talk a little bit about what that looks like and where we go from here in those grain markets? Sure. So we lost some of our real-time data on that after a security breach back in early February. And the numbers are finally starting to catch up. We're still delayed by about a week. I think the most recent numbers are back to March 14th or so. Um, But the surprising change in that was a huge liquidation in corn positions down to a net even, I think even at one point, a net short position in corn after being at the peak of their long, something like 350,000 contracts, but mostly floating between 200 and 250,000 contracts long for a good part of the last year, year and a half now. So saw this huge liquidation of that position and still only brought nearby futures down to near $6 and new crop to about five and a half. We didn't see quite the same move in soybeans or soybean meal. In fact, those two both remained fairly steady through this window, though meal or soybeans have come off of their highs to the tune of about 70,000 contracts. 
All right, let's wrap things up today. So Jake, what are you currently doing to help your clients? We've been working with a lot of folks to take advantage of these breaks in futures. So we had that fall in corn futures over the last few weeks and, and got some April, May tonnages priced out there. And then here today, we brushed just out at 451 on soybean meal futures for the May contract. And we've had quite a few folks come in and again, price their April, May tonnage at those numbers. We'll remain a little bit patient going into planting and growing season here in the U.S. before we clean up some of the June to September feed usages, but we are taking advantage of this dip at the moment. Good stuff. Kevin, what's going on with you and your clients? You know, right now, just trying to focus on ways to efficiently get some length in July to Dees cheese. You know, the last couple of years, we've definitely seen prices up here, but I think it's still a little tough for the end user community to look out there and see futures really struggle to break uh, below $2 back there. So again, just trying to find efficient ways to get long back there, whether that's three ways or, you know, selling puts in the more nearby months to finance some calls back there. But for right now, trying to avoid, you know, getting long futures at those price points. And, you know, some are starting to talk about 2024 and still kind of just waiting on that right now. We have some cheese capacity coming online here soon and prices in 2024 are still pretty lofty. So I think waiting on that for the time being. And Tiffany, how about you? How are you helping your clients these days, both managing the markets and the floodwaters? Yeah, for my dairy producer clients, if they haven't already, I would say we should be taking a really close look at second half coverage, some downside protection in particular. I'm still favorable, the dairy revenue protection subsidized floors that are available. It gives folks some flexibility. The second half is going to be, I think in my mind, determined a lot by what happens in our new crop corn market. So if Jake can tell us what, what that's going to be, that will be helpful. If we do if we do have a good crop and all of the right things come together and we see a material break there finally, um, that's going to have a lot of impact on margins and some influence, I believe, on the dairy market. So get some downside protection, start layering in. I don't know that you have to do it all, but we're certainly working on third quarter and fourth quarter now. That's a good point, Tiffany. I failed to mention that earlier. We have been taking advantage of this break in new crop corn as well. I think there's potential for some downside movement in that market, but there's also real risk of a move significantly higher there in December futures. So while we're not capturing that in a cash price, we have been taking measures to put in some sort of option coverage to cap your upside risk there to kind of go along with what you're doing on milk. Thanks, Jake, Kevin, and Tiffany for joining me today and a great discussion. I appreciate you being here and sharing all of your insights. Thanks as always to our media team. Thank you as always to our media team, our expert Paige Driscoll for making all of us look and sound great. Thank you to the listeners for joining us today. If you like what you hear, subscribe on your favorite app. And if you'd like to learn more about how we help people manage risk in our day jobs, contact us at insights at ever.ag. 